0: I cannot believe you had the guts to, knowing that you do a podcast with me, to put money against Wales and that Turkey would win that game this evening, Richard. I am upset. Can you hear That's, the tone? I'm upset. I don't,
1: I don't gamble on sentiment, Yowen. 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 Do you know why I did that? Do you know why I said that? I said that. Why? It's because because my stepdaughter's boyfriend is called Yowen, who also happens to be coming over tonight. So sure. Okay. That was fair my enough. mistake. Um, right. Yeah. So anyway, no I don't I don't gamble on sentiment but I apparently don't gamble on um rea- reality either so um
0: no, you just gamble on friendships instead. Anyway, uh, <laughs> hello yes, everyone. Yes. Welcome to welcome to a special episode of Red Voices. We decided we wanted to do a couple episodes covering this year's Euro 2020 Championship. So you've got me, you and Lennart, and the returning Richard Can back after recent health troubles to enjoy a brief chat over what's been going on the last week. There is obviously a lot to talk about. And no, this isn't just an excuse for me to talk about Wales and the Welsh team. But first, Rich, lovely to have you back. How are you doing, man?
1: I'm not bad. It's sunny outside. There's football all the time. Um, and I've got nothing to do but sit and watch it.
0: And I'm alive! Yes, this is true. We're very happy to hear that particular so, aspect. So I'm of good. How are you? Yeah, well, the football's good. Uh, and it is sunny. That's very true. Um, but more importantly, you're doing all right. And you're back here with me doing this. So that's wonderful as far as I'm, okay, news, I'm okay. yep. concerned. I'm good. It's, yeah, well, uh, should we get straight into it? I mean,. Yep. The- I guess given the importance of what happened on Saturday afternoon, there's only really one place to start in terms of uh, Christian Erikson's cardiac arrest. I mean, I, I almost stopped myself from saying this is obviously a down way to start the podcast. But how can you not discuss this first if we're going to talk about what we've seen the last week? And it feels like one of those things that... I guess with the news cycle and the way we sort of devour events these days, it feels like we moved on from what happened on Saturday, which was incredibly traumatic for the people there and the people watching on. We've moved on from it remarkably quickly.
1: I was literally about to say the same thing. It's it's almost like, oh my god, he nearly died. We well, kind of did die, and then was revived, and everyone was horrified, and everyone was traumatized, and everything else. And and then and then there's a, you know a, a picture with a thumbs up and an, an Instagram post from hospital saying I'm okay, and everyone's like, okay, next. On to the next, um, which shouldn't really be the case, should it? Really, you know we we should be we should be talking about why you know I think the degree to which players have been pushed physically this season, and whether that was you know that we've been talking since the start of the season, or people have been talking since the start of the season about the incredible demands that were going to be put on the players this season, and it didn't seem to be a great deal of thought given to their welfare, um, mm. and you, you know we, we won't know if if that contributed to what happened, we won't know at the moment, um, and it may not have been, but it, it should certainly prompt a discussion about whether um, whether this this season, you know, there's almost this thing of these guys get paid a lot of money, therefore they should just do what we want them to do.
0: Uh, that is what worries me about the reaction. Uh, and I think what I'm concerned about in particular, amongst the raft of other things, is the fact that that game was played and they carried on barely, what, two hours later? You can't normalize things like this. You cannot normalize no. people having to react to an event like that, completely unprecedented, incredibly traumatic, incredibly difficult to deal with emotionally. And I really don't want the idea that you can just turn around emotionally from that to be normalized because that's so damaging.
1: Look, I was, I was, I was still shaking from it two hours later, and I don't, I not know the guy. I wasn't there. I just watched it on telly, and I, I think it was, it was probably the most traumatizing thing i've seen live on tv and Um. you know there have been been things like the twin towers and whatever else and you that those those sorts of events whilst you're seeing them there was there was an almost an unreality about it
0: well the scale of that obviously is difficult to kind of get your head around this was obviously so much more personal and we were zoomed in so close it was so difficult to number one i think First and foremost, you talk about the reactions of the Danish players and the medical staff and Taylor to recognize something had gone horribly wrong, because obviously it did, and their actions saved Christian Eriksen's life. Didn't realize until after yeah. the game uh, that he has two children and you know, alongside his partner, and you know what an incredible thing for the four of them as a family to have to go through, you know, with such a personal event experienced worldwide, uh, and. Wonderful work by the Danish players and the Finnish players and the way that the whole stadium reacted to it. And then you instantly start looking at UEFA's role in this in terms of asking the teams, giving them three options. I mean, they didn't have the guts to say, we've given the teams several options. They decided they wanted to play. What they should have said was, we have told the teams they can either play the game tonight, tomorrow, or they can forfeit the game and lose 3-0. That would have been the honest thing to have said. What they said was the players are willing to play again and immediately as soon as we heard that I thought something's up here the players should never ever have been in a position where they should have had to choose between playing a game restarting a game two hours after an event like that or starting it again tomorrow or forfeiting a match in the European Championships in their home stadium in Copenhagen they should never have been asked to do that it is is cruel, it's cruelty from UEFA that, that they put the Danish players in those positions and made them make a choice
1: well the, the, the Manager said that um in the, the case of there being a COVID a COVID case in the uh, in a squad, a match can be put back forty eight hours. Mm. That's just if they get a positive test in within a squad, they can put the match back up to forty eight hours. Covid, yay. Player dying on the pitch. Nay. Being revived, all of his teammates being traumatized will give you two hours. Or or at best until tomorrow lunchtime. You know, it doesn't and and it goes back to the it's it's the same old thing isn't it it's the fact that the, the players have been pushed to their limits this se- physical limits this season because of money and and they were pushed into something uh, again which you know could potentially have um you know significant mental health consequences for for some of them, really.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I back the Danish FA to actually look after them. You know, I, I would have thought that they would be taking what happened very seriously. And number one, again, oh, yeah, as we sure. say, it, it's fantastic that Ericsson is okay. And you'd presume, you presume know, whether or not he plays football again is almost irrelevant. It's just the hope that he recovers now and is able to enjoy some quality of life of whatever happens next for him. In terms of the way UEFA have handled it, I'm pretty disgusted. I thought it was remarkable for Casper Schmeichel to be talking to, I think it was Five Live or, the, or BBC in some fashion, to be maintaining his cool given that situation. Because I'm, a, I, I'm angry for him, so I've no idea how that team must be feeling. When something like that happens, I just feel like we necessarily, as people watching on or the people involved in that, don't give ourselves enough time to fully process things like that. And that's such a, an incredible event to have happen worldwide and viewed like that in such a fashion so i hope what what we i hope hope we learn things from it in the sense that i hope we take player welfare a bit more seriously i hope we take the direction in terms of how we actually broadcast these events more carefully and start to think about processes in place where we're not seeing those sort of pitches on tv for that long and i hope uefa starts to take things a bit more seriously in terms of how they actually implement things going forward you know and he's okay that's the main thing this fallout but you know and obviously Denmark lost the game because <laughs> unsurprisingly they lost the game can you imagine playing again in those in those circumstances
1: no I, I think I think the wider the wider point here is and it's something that has been kind of gradually creeping up on me as I get older anyway but given my recent experiences with my health and then and then seeing that happen is that you know football is important but it's it's completely irrelevant compared to people's lives and you know in in terms of humanity if you know what I mean Um, yeah yeah of course but the wider the wider point over you know that that particular event and just in general is that that football isn't that important it's not you know one of the things I think on Twitter like is is football really worth being really horrible to somebody you don't know you know, just being really mean to people—that should tell—that should tell you why. Why be bloody mean? Because you could die tomorrow. Anybody you know or love could die tomorrow. There's too many people who are just spending their time being incredibly mean to people on the internet. You know, just focus and think what's actually important, and is it better to make people's lives a bit happier while they're here, while you're here than it is to make them worse.
0: Well, I mean, there's uh, an argument to say that should the account for one of United's well most well-known fanzies be tweeting out links to uh, articles trying to find a link between vaccines and heart attacks with a thinking face emoji in the aftermath of something like that. But that is a whole other story. <laughs> um, we, we're going to talk about the football now, Rich. So let's take a quick break and get back on it. Right, tournament started off in uh, Rome on Friday night with uh, Turkey, the home team, in a very away game, <laughs> losing 3-0 to a very, well, I guess, very disciplined, obviously they're Italian, of course they're disciplined, but a, a very useful Italian side, and Roberto Mancini, what did you make of that one, other than the fact that Turkey's uh, dark horse tag was very swiftly uh, removed?
1: Yeah, I must admit, I've got a little bit of money on Italy to win the tournament as, as kind of dark horses. Um, I think they've... They've kind of been below par for a while, and this is probably the best team they've had in in a number of years. Um, yeah, I think that was really an, a case of Italy playing very well, um, probably you know pushed on by um, the fact they got they're playing in front of a crowd at home. You know, they haven't been haven't had fans there. For, and I think we've seen that quite a lot in the last few days. Just that I think the thing of having f- fans back in the crowd as, as, as motivated players a, a little bit, I think. Particularly <laughs> <basically playing like laughs> Not in I, some cases. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Um, but um, yeah, and, and partially Turkey just being terrible and being far, 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 far from the sum of their parts, um, which we saw again, again tonight. But I think it was a good marker for Italy and I think they really have got a, a good chance of going a decent decent way in the tournament so yeah yeah i, I, think, I think they're a really good team I, I may well be made to look an absolute idiot in about an hour's time when they play switzerland but i i really do fancy them to to go quite far
0: yeah we'll see how that particular result plays out but i i agree you know i, I thought given the way that turkey were primed for this tournament they'd obviously had a good qualification uh period to come into this game so I mean I don't undercooked is such a t- simple term to say but it's true isn't it they didn't look ready for it you know they were so easily overwhelmed and obviously there was a good intensity to Italy's play and they came out of the traps in a in a controlled fashion Though it wasn't similar to the way Spain started their match against Sweden you know it, Spain to me began that game like a team who felt they had something to prove and was desperate to prove it straight away Italy took their time they had the dominance they had the ascendancy and when they eventually got the goal they just kept prying more opportunities out of the game it was perfectly managed by Mancini and yeah I mean I, I don't think you can say they're a dead cert to get into the last four or even the final but I think there's a good team there for sure and I'm interested to see how they get on against Switzerland tonight as well you know and we'll talk maybe a little bit more about Wales income in uh in, in context of this evening's game against Turkey which is not long finished so looking at the other games this evening is sorry from Saturday as well let's have a look I mean, obviously, we've spoken about the uh, game between the Danes and Finland. And then Belgium over in St. Petersburg, nominally the home team against Russia. I mean, you know, obviously, we've spoken about Romelu Lukaku and his time at Manchester United in great depth. But, you know, you don't really want to talk too much about that in the context of the fact that he and that Belgian team got booed by the Russian home crowd. uh, Sorry, the Russian away crowd in that match. And then Lukaku went on to completely school them. I mean you know obviously the moment where he was going up to the camera to make uh you know to, to tell ericsson that he loved him which was wonderful you know i mean the oh. moments like that uh, i mean i guess because football can be so sort of cold and dehumanized at points that was wonderful to see and to see that connection again i mean the kaku played a fantastic game and it's it's genuinely good to see him enjoying his career and time into so much and proving just how good a player he is you know a great moment for him and a great result for Belgium I mean without Hazard and De Bruyne as well but I mean I've
1: watched Russia again today you know they 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 beat Finland today but they're not a good team they're a really poor team I think they've you know there's only a couple of players in that you know Russia side probably Golovin and and Rancuk, who didn't start the first game and started and scored today who are. Uh, I would say, kind of sort of well above average talents, and the rest are just are just very average um
0: it does so make I'm... me think about that world cup run
1: yeah, so i'm not, Infer I'm not... from that what you will <laughs> we're not libelous on this podcast
0: but yeah. so
1: I'm not, I'm not I'm not surprised that i'm not surprised that they struggle against Belgium because Belgium just are really good as well um hmm. even with that, they've got an enormous amount of depth in in midfield and and, and in attack as well I, I, I'm a little. I'm concerned about the back three. I think um, Aldevarelt and and Vertonghen have have declined as as defenders, and and Boyata or Denia, whichever they use, isn't isn't of the same sort of aren't of the same sort of quality that kind of peak Aldevarelt was. They, you know they've obviously got enough to go to go a long way, and I wouldn't completely write them off because if you could if you got the quality to to score goals in the quantities that they do, then you you've really got a chance of going quite a long way. But if I, if I look at some of the other sides that I think have got a real chance of winning it, I, I just wonder if they've got the defensive um, sort of quality and stability to, to, to beat those sides. And I think if you look at, we can take, I think we can take the French as a ben- benchmark, can't we really? I, I think they came to the tournament as their you know, favourites. And, and we've already seen from the Germany game that essentially they've got, they've got real world-class quality in every position um mm. and so so that's kind of what you're up against if you if you want to be winning the tournament and i wonder if just if belgium will be will come up a little bit short
0: sure i i'm intrigued to see how they manage the next couple of games now because obviously with that statement of victory love a good statement of victory um they're pretty well primed to go into the next round i mean you wouldn't have thought they'll have too much of a problem with the other teams in that group not after the performance no. there and denmark obviously they'll be i mean what sort of state will they be in for the next game of the tournament who even knows at this stage and i think They'll be playing Belgium tomorrow afternoon on Thursday. So, you know, I I hope for Denmark that they're able to get a performance that they can take something out of. You know, it, 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 it sounds really condescending to say that you want them to do well based on what's happened. But I just hope that they get some sort of release from what's happened over the last few days and are able to do themselves proud, you know. Anyway, moving on to uh, Sunday's games. Two Group C before we get a chat about England. Australia beating North Macedonia 3-1. I wish I look at the population of North Macedonia and I guess they're the true sort of uh, lower level uh, underdog of this entire tournament considering that we have one million more population in Wales than they do. But I think mean, that's really a relatively enjoyable game. And then probably the most exciting random game of the tournament was uh, Holland 3-Ukraine 2. That Ukraine brace came out of nowhere, didn't it? It did, but the way Holland play and also the the,
1: the level of talent they've got in, in defence, they're always going to concede goals. Um, it, you, I don't think any of us expected Ukraine to suddenly score two because Ukraine don't score an enormous amount of goals. But um, you can see the frailties that probably mean that, that Holland can't, can't go a, a really long way in this tournament. Um, they've clearly got attacking talent, as we've seen. Um, I don't think they've got an enormous amount of depth in some positions but they're also in a in a pretty soft group so you, you would have thought that ukraine was possibly given away the way f- the first game to go and ukraine was possibly their trickiest trickiest game in that group so they could be in a position where they can if they if they win the second game they can they can rest players for the third and at least be fresh for the last 16 so yeah sure if, I, and i really like i, I, I must have got a bit of another little wager on out their course to be top scorer in the tournament just because he just he doesn't do he's got no frills he just scores he just scores goals um and I really like that I just uh, kind of miss miss those throwback strikers who who don't really have any great um impact on the game as as a whole or in, in a tactical sense they just score goals they are just on the end of stuff and that's kind of what mm. he does and I think he could have quite a nice partnership with 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 Depay um you know, who who drifts around and, and, and drops into space and is, is a really different sort of player. So they've got some nice partnerships. So and Elden plays a lot further forward for Holland as well. Um, and he, he's far more prolific um, for them and does a really good job kind of as, a, as the attacking midfielder. Um, so they're definitely going to score some goals and they'll definitely get through the group, I think. But it's just a case of when they come up How against... How far beyond that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just a case of when they come up against somebody who's, who's kind of got a balanced quality, sort of quality throughout the... The, the team will they be able to stand up
0: to that and i suspect probably not mm. shout out to andrew Yarmolenko for that thunder bastard goal though in- very enjoyable set the game back up at 2-1 and gave us something to enjoy um i guess we move now on to your lot rich um mm. now i mean i guess i've been thinking quite a little bit about the differences in terms of how we approach international football because obviously i'm coming at it for more of an enjoyable chilled place and the expectation the pressure and the narrative around England for uh, one thing or another at the minute is so intense and involving. I mean, basically, you've gone from a very intense season season with United to a very intense European Championship with England. Yeah. And and looking back at that Croatia game, if I may start with the analysis, I, I, I feel like a performance like that, maybe in past years, you'd look at it and think, oh, England aren't playing very well. But I think looking at the way that... You do need to kind of build into these tournaments. And knowing as well that Croatia was arguably the trickiest fixture in that group, you know, with maybe the Czechs and the Scots a similar level just below them. I do think that's a really useful performance for England to have done. It it was no frills to a certain degree. You know, Southgate got the setting quite right. You know, he put Trippier out at left back, which, you know, raised a lot of eyebrows, but it turned out to be the right call. And, you know, it was Raheem Sterling who maybe hasn't necessarily turned around his, you know, slightly below his top level form from City towards the end of the season, but came up big with a great goal. And, you know, I, I think that's a really useful victory for England. It's something to build on because you don't necessarily have to be coming out of the traps with your top level form in tournaments, do you? You just need to make sure you don't lose.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's important to win the first game. I, I must admit, I don't get really stressed about England. I, I always think that with international football, what, what you know, I mean, not ultimately in, in, in matches I can be stressed, but in terms of the global performance, I'm Pretty easy going about it, and anything that anything that goes really well is is a huge bonus, um, particularly in tournament football where you, you only have to have one bad game and you can be knocked out. But if I think there's a little bit of confidence there as well that we perhaps haven't had for quite a long time, because even going back to the kind of the, the golden generation of England players, you had all these brilliant players, but they never really quite f- fitted together. They were never never the sum of their parts. Really, you could you could you could look at an England team, perhaps. Going back to under sven and Eriksson, say that almost every player in that team was a world-class footballer, or or certainly in the the sort of top echelons, and yet they never achieved what they should have done, just because just didn't quite fit together properly. Uh, You know, having to stick skulls out on the left, the left of midfield, or or whatever. So, whereas this England team feels it feels a lot more of a team. It feels like the pieces fit into into the team more obviously, and of course it's got depth particularly in the attacking areas that i don't recall we've ever had before in my life oh game, no anyway. no
0: i mean i have been watching england for well over 3 decades and i would say hand on heart this is probably the most exciting but also talented england side that i've ever seen at a major tournament the options that you have i mean don't forget sancho didn't even make the squad for that game at the weekend obviously because he was having his united medical but you know
1: yeah well i mean that, I, I, there, were, <laughs> there, were, there were
0: there were things about
1: the lineup that, that confused me and. It's the same as Southgate sometimes can be overly conservative, and I didn't see the sense in packing four right backs into your squad, for example. Um, and I, I still don't, I still don't see the sense in him playing Trippier at left back. I don't think it impacted the game in any, any way really, positive or negative. I think we would have, we would have been better off. There are quite, there are quite a few occasions where a, a left-footed left back, such as Shaw or Chilwell... Could have overlapped and created dangerous situations that didn't happen because Trippier stopped and came inside on his right foot. So I don't necessarily think that was the right thing to do, and I think leaving um, Sancho out of the squad was a really weird one as well because if you're going to start with Foden on the right, which is fine because he's brilliant, but the game was drifting a bit before you, before England scored, and, and it, if that had gone on for much longer, what you really needed was a was a proper winger who could actually beat fullbacks, you know, take fullbacks on with you know, with pace and, and dribbling, and by he had he had Saka there, but you know he's still he's still a young lad. He's not he's incredibly talented, but he's not he's not a, as fully formed a player as as Sancho is. So I, he does make some strange some strange calls. The one concern with this England team, I think, is obviously the the, the centre backs. Having said that, uh, Mings and Stones were absolutely excellent at, um, against Croatia. But I think mm. that to go all the way through a tournament, you've got to. <clears throat> You know, I'm not sure the the talent is there to be consistently excellent in defence in the same way that France likely will be with Varane, Kimpembe, for example, or you know many of the other. I think the, the Italian base of of Chiellini and Bonucci or whatever. You know, in, in, you don't quite have that. And I think Maguire is a lot better player than a, I think a lot of centre back that people have given him credit for over his time at United. And I think the issues with United defending go a lot deeper than just being individual mistakes i think there's there's a, there's, yeah, an isu- yeah. there's an issue there with coaching as well and he's not played next to a center back of of high quality or, or with with characteristics that, that-
0: you know, compliment him either. Oh no, no! Victor Lindelof dropping in a out a solid a out of ten against Spain earlier on this week. What are you talking about? Yeah, <laughs> but I... no, I, I get what you mean. I mean, I think that the good thing about this England squad, obviously, with the even with the loss of Maguire, is that there are options for Southgate. It's whether or not he's got the tactical mouse to. Be flexible and change things up, and I thought actually he got the approach to Croatia spot on. I don't feel like there was a period of concerted pressure where I was concerned that Croatia were going to score. The yeah. midfield battle was won quite well, you know. Modric was kept relatively quiet, there was plenty of possession in the final sort of third of that game, and maybe Harry Kane should have scored after uh, Sterling's goal to make it 2 0. And you know, it, it was controlled but also mature, and I think that's not something you could necessarily have said about England over the last bunch of years, you know. I think given how. The, if you compare this team to the one that lost to Iceland five years ago, the difference is stark. The options that Southgate's got at his disposal. Yeah, there's a lot of oh, yeah. untested players like Calvin Phillips and Tyrone Mings, etc. at this level anyway. And the fact that a lot of players have come into the side and performed well. you know. But I think there's a lot to look forward to for England. Obviously, that's yeah, yeah. tempered completely unrelated to the matters on the pitch with the ridiculous narrative that we have going on with people... Whistling about taking the knee and the booze, oh, you know awesome. it, oh God, I mean it is something that we should talk about purely because this isn't something that people of color should have to discuss all the time and defend themselves. This is something that people with you know decent people should be willing to take up the conversation as well i, I it wouldn't won't surprise long term listeners to know where we sit on this issue if you want to boo taking the knee and you want to say we want to take politics out of football then I tell you what, when it comes to discussions when we're talking about having poppies on shorts towards the end of this year, let's, let's have that discussion then again and let's see if the same vigour is available in those sort don't of things. Don't sing about the IRA either. Let's not talk about 10 German bombers then when you're going on England duty. There are so many things. I mean, the, the point is they don't want these politics in football. No, no. It's, they it's, don't it's, want to be confronted. It's basically
1: cretins who don't want black people. Essentially, essentially, they're cretins who don't want black people to have a voice. It's, that's that's what it is. It's about it's about trying to silence a voice That they don't like, and, they're, they're, and people thr- can dress they're, they're it up however it. they like. And I've they're had discussions about it.
0: this. Yeah, I mean, I've had discussions about this during the last week, but people are trying to say, well, I mean, it's great that they're trying to do something against racism, but it's not working. It's causing distraction. No, it's only causing a distraction. We're talking about it. Yeah, exactly. This is important. It's so vital that we have these conversations and we start talking about the impact this is having. To me, it's upsetting the right people. And if you have a problem with the way that taking the knee is done, I want to hear your suggestions for what we should do to push things further. Because stopping is not helping the issue whatsoever. That's bowing to pressure. And that's exactly what we shouldn't be doing.
1: How often were we all talking about kick it out?
0: Not enough is, is the easy answer to that. And we'll hold ourselves accountable in that.
1: This has become about identity politics as well, hasn't it? It's just become another thing that's been used at, to to fuel the culture war, is not it? You know, essentially, essentially being against players taking the knee has become synonymous with right-wing politics. It, mm. it's, it's just as simple as that. And so these are the same people who will... You know lambast you about the right to freedom of speech. You know this is the same the same talk radio types, GB News types, who will go on forever about the right to freedom of speech, which essentially means their right to be offensive, Um, and they want the right to be offensive without consequences. That's what freedom of speech means to them, except when it's somebody they don't want to hear speaking. The reality is, first of all, if you think that racism and 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 reducing or and ridding the world of racism is important. You wouldn't be asked about some players taking a knee for three seconds before a game, and the second point is white people shouldn't be telling black people how to protest about things which are objectively true. We've seen mm. the racist abuse the players get. they should be able to decide how they want to protest and in what way they want to protest, and the rest of us should go fair enough, you do you you do what If you, you care you about these
0: people and these players, you back them. It's as simple as that.
1: We are not in their shoes. We don't experience the, the, the discrimination that, that, that they've experienced. We are not observers to the phenomenon or, or integral observers to the phenomenon of racism. We're, we're people who just basically go about our lives and racism never impacts us unless we physically see it happen to somebody else. It mm. never impacts us. We never have to deal with that. So, so we are not in any position, white people are not in any position tell black people how they should feel about race and how they should they should back themselves and back their cause and back the improvement of their lives in that regard you know it's not for us nope. to say we should just sit there and say fair enough I want, I want there to be an end to racism they're doing something to bring an end to racism ergo I'm in support of that there's only one position unless you're a racist
0: <laughs> a f***ing man time for a break We have a small favour to ask, friends. If you're enjoying the show, please help spread the word. Leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Acast, or any podcast app you use. It's a small thing that helps shows like ours to move up podcast rankings and generate more listeners, and it would be hugely appreciated. Right, Richard, moving on to uh, Monday's games after England's one nil victory over Croatia. So, uh, we, Scotland's first performance in a major tournament for 23 years didn't go quite to plan, did it? Scott McTominay had a half-decent performance, but they uh, round out 2-0 losers to the Czech Republic with an absolutely remarkable goal that made you feel... Do you want to say the obvious joke, or shall I say it again? It's a good one. You can do it. Shick <laughs> to my stomach. Yes. <laughs> oh, I mean, it, oh, that was rough. Why was Marshall that far off his line that he was essentially in a different postcode? Someone needs to explain that to me. I really feel for the Scots because like this I hope this doesn't sound too condescending, because as a as a person from another smaller British country, I sure know what it's like to be talked down to. But the effort and you can you know how much this means to a country like Scotland and a team like that Scottish National Side, which has got Without wanting to be too patronising, limited ability. You get by on team spirit and your, and your capability to stick together and have a consistent and competent game plan. And they could very easily, with a bit of better finishing here and there, come out and won that game. And it just didn't go their way. And obviously there's a huge game at Wembley, which I can't wait to watch given the first time it's been in Scotland for... God, I mean, when was the last time those two teams get together? What an event that's going to be regardless. I'm very much looking forward to the spectacle of it all. And I do real feel for the Scotlands because that's a tough group to get out to now. That was arguably the least worrisome fixture of the three available to them and it's not gone well at all and moving on to uh, Poland-Slovakia I mean the Polish guy at work thinks I'm Polish enough to support them so obviously uh, thanks to good old Grandad Spigniew, uh, a 2-1 <laughs> defeat to Poland with the most ridiculous red card for Krzyzewiak in the second half and then Skrinia with a beautiful second half strike after they'd gone up with that man advantage and Poland really struggling in that group as well Followed by uh Monday night's game. Spain nil, Sweden nil. Now I spoke a little bit about this earlier on. The BBC coverage and also Guillaume belague were talking about the fact that Luis Enrique liked the fact that Spain were coming into this tournament as underdogs. I thought the way they managed that game against Sweden, despite the fact that they did very much a United thing and have a tons of possession with absolutely zero penetration, I thought their temperament just seemed off. I think... Going into that game with such fire and vigour and basically trying to kill it off in the first sort of 35-40 minutes, they just looked completely done in in terms of ideas when it came to the remainder of that game. And Sweden's chances, they really should have scored in that match given the two gilt-edge opportunities they missed. And Spain couldn't have had any argument whatsoever. They were lucky not to drop, drop further points in that game. And given again, the, we speak about this with Spain quite a lot, don't we? Given the amount of talent, the way in which they still struggle to put it together, given the heights that they were at ten, eleven years ago, it's still so fascinating, isn't it?
1: It is fascinating. You know, they're in a new phase that they, have, they don't have the talent, they don't have the peak players that they had in that World Cup, European Championship-winning side. They're kind of building building from scratch again. They've got a lot of very young attackers. You know, they've got they've got they had started with Torres and Olmo and and Pedri. It's a new team. They're trying to move on from the last one, and so I don't think it's realistic that that Spain can go through the, all the way in this tournament and, and and win it. But one of the biggest
0: problems not with Rob Page's tricky Welsh dragons in that. Well, think. well, obviously
1: right. not. No, but um, that, you know, one of the I think one of their biggest issues is is that they've got Alvar- Alvaro Morata at centre forward, and
0: oh, that miss, that miss.
1: He's he's the most confidancy oh. centre forward. That I've ever seen I think. You know, you can see you can see in his eyes that you know, he just needs to, he just needs to miss a chance and he goes and his head's gone, you know. He didn't I think that was what undid him at um Chelsea. I I find
0: Morata traumatic to watch. He is traumatic it, to watch.
1: It, it... I, I think he's a really good footballer, but he I just think he's missing he's missing that self-belief that turns a, a very good striker into a really world-class striker. I think if you gave him Ronaldo's Ronaldo's confidence and pomp and and whatever else, you know, he he'd probably be an absolutely world-class centre-forward, but he clearly just doesn't quite believe in himself. Um, mm. And that that is that you can get away with that if you're Spain, if you've got you know three world-class peak Spain um, attacking players playing behind him. But when you when you've got an 18-year-old, 21-year-old, and I think a 22-year-old who who have had relatively little international football then I think that becomes a really big problem because ultimately all of them will be looking at him as the senior member of that attacking quartet and and if he's not there quite mentally then it makes it difficult for the rest of them as well but we should be should take into account as well they were they were essentially playing I think probably opened up against the worst opponent they could ever have drawn for those, those circumstances. Sweden are just uh, essentially 11 really average footballers. And I include, (laughs) I include include Victor Lindelof in that. Um, I thought you might exactly do that thing. In fact, that's not quite fair. Ishak is, is a really, really, really talented kid up front, but the rest are just really, really really average footballers. And, but, but they are, they are absolutely primed to play that, that, that party pooper role, aren't they? To be mm. incredibly compact and well, well drilled, and just, just try and scrap goals on the on the break, and they nearly did it. Um, but and they, I think they were almost just a bit too savvy for um, for Spain ultimately. Um, and I think they always, you know, it's that it's that that those those talents for Sweden are always very conducive to getting them out of groups in in um, tournaments. But I think then it's more difficult to kind of spawn your way to the latter stages of a tournament by doing the same thing every game. Um, Yeah. So I I, I feel, I feel a bit for Spain in terms of they essentially came up against their current nemesis in their first game. It it will be interesting to see how they, how they do against Poland because Poland are crap, but you'd imagine that Poland would have a a very similar approach, but I suspect they aren't quite as used to playing it and as well drilled as, as Sweden were. So I'd be pretty surprised if if Spain didn't win that game.
0: Sure. So for moving on to uh, yesterday's games, uh, Hungary, somewhat unfortunate to lose 3-0 given the hashtag heart and guts that was apparently on show and then Ronaldo decided to score two goals in the last couple of minutes, taking obviously away from Bruno Fernandes' penalty duties. I mean, I didn't see that one. How did uh, our Bruno manage in that game? Was he quite anonymous and sort of similar to the end of the season at United? or? No, Bruno is Bruno. Really, you know, Bruno does what Bruno does, which is
1: he just kind of appears in games, doesn't he, and does something really cool, and then we'll go back to doing lots of bits, which some of which are cool and some of which are really crap. <laughs> um, and but 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 then he he will just in in those key moments he he'll just do something incredibly good or you know he can he can produce an assist out of nothing. He can he can shoot you know from distance or from closer range and score a goal out of nothing he's almost one of the most absurd footballers i've ever seen in that he is objectively absolutely brilliant but for 85 percent of games he's he's just not and then the difference between
0: the percentile of his goodness and his badness i mean even the fact that obviously the good far outweighs the bad yeah the bad is very bad
1: the bad is very bad but then the good Mm. the good is just absolutely world class isn't it
0: yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, I'm not disagreeing with that whatsoever.
1: No, no. I mean, so he had he had, a, he had a good game. Portugal, you know, all the all that Hungary had was a lot of heart and and sixty thousand non COVID compliant supporters because Viktor Orban doesn't care about COVID. Um, yeah, and and UEFA don't care about COVID as long as they get sixty sixty thousand fans in and lots of money.
0: I mean, we just played two games in the space of a week in Baku.
1: Yeah, I mean, my mate said to me today, he said he, he was just thinking about all of the um, locations that they've been ch- chosen. Essentially, they've, they've given it to all the biggest nations who will generate the most money and it will give them a far better chance of winning it as well. And then they've just handed the round to the nearest dictators, haven't they?
0: You know? Yeah, oh, I mean, because it absolutely does favour the bigger nations, either the ones that are more yeah, successful yeah. or the ones that have got the better facilities or the more money. You know, it's not weighted in the likes of, say, Austria or Wales or anything on those lines, even though they've got good facilities and good stadiums. You know, it, no. it's, it, it's, it's very much this setup for the tournament. And I know it obviously means that a lot more people around the continent can watch their team on a big international stage that wouldn't be that other. But it's about giving to the haves and giving giving less of the have-nots, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That that kind of misses the core point for me that I still feel incredibly fortunate, despite my misgivings about the tournament as a whole, despite, obviously, if we're going to talk real, if we're going to have a bit of real talk for a moment, Mm. the awful carbon footprint that this tournament is obviously creating, given the fact that we are, you know, crisscrossing all over the entirety of Europe... Anyway, it's still been enjoyable and given everything that's been going on in the world, I'm hugely grateful to everyone who's putting out for their country and performing at the minute because it's been a great watch, hasn't it? And then France won Germany nil, won Paul Labiel Pogba apparently balling again. Tell me. Yeah,
1: no, he was absolutely brilliant. Um, you can see the difference in Pogba when he's surrounded by quality. And I think we've seen that a little do bit. Do you mean between...
0: Angola can't or do you mean <clears throat> more quality well, than no, just can
1: Angelo Kanté will make any midfielder, any any midfielder he's playing near better because he's essentially two two humans isn't he in in one um mm-hmm. he he is he is a holding midfielder and a box to box midfielder at the same time and you could essentially swap him for two literal foot footballers in those roles and you'd do just as good a job so do you think
0: Chelsea would accept McTominay and Fred for him
1: I'm not sure they would to be honest um no. it just it, oh, well. it it still aggravates me that they they managed to get him for 30 million quid um because he's just insane but also it's just about being surrounded by quality as well and you we we've seen this season now that Bruno's come in pogba is better when there's quality around him
0: and there's less expected of him consistently
1: i don't think it's expected of him but i think there's less pressure on him to be the one the one who 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 does the world class things that win the games because yeah yeah You know, realistically, if you're not Messi or you're not Ronaldo, that's not possible for you. When we signed him, you know, there are lots of criticisms we can make of Pogba genuinely. But when we signed him, we basically chucked him into a team in which he was the only worthwhile creative player in it. And then basically left him as that only possible creative player in in the team on which everything relied until we brought Bruno. And so... Mm. That pressure and that responsibility meant that we expected more of him than he can give, and he felt more pressure to be a match winner every game than is 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 really healthy for his optimum performance. And and you see when he plays for France, he's literally surrounded by world class footballers, and they all make really significant contributions too, which allows him to concentrate on doing the bits that he um, he excels in. And and the, you know the winning goal for um for france against germany came from a quite absurd pass out to left back i think i think it's um hernandez and and he him drilling it back across and hummel's you know just deflecting it in and it was it was an absurd pass it was just it was absolutely brilliant it, to everybody it looked like he was going to cross it to the striker and instead he just put a little bit more weight and a little bit more curl on it and he just just delicately flew through to the to the left back, and then, you know, Germany were undone.
0: How did uh, Manchester United future centre-back Raphael Varane fare?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously they, they kept a clean sheet against a, not a brilliant Germany side because they've been struggling recently quite a lot, and I think they're missing a proper centre-forward as well, um, with sort of Timo Werner being broken. They kind of had Gnabry there, which didn't really... Work as they wanted it to, but having said that, in the second half they did have, I'd have said two or three, really, really good chances that Lewandowski or somebody would probably have scored. You know, France could have come away with with less than the win, but they were the better team, I think, and and it's quite clear. You know, every time France went forward, Germany were exposed very, 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 very easily, and the two French centre backs really repelled pretty much everything that that came at them. I think Varane had a, a really good game Varane's absolute quality isn't he you know he's both a, both a capable of physical defending he's an incredibly intelligent defender and he's very technically gifted as well he's a, he's the full package you know if you if United managed to sign Rafael Varane I would want that over Jadon Sancho if you said to me do you want Sancho this summer or, or Rafael Varane I'd say Varane every time because I think he Ooh. can absolute. he can provide this United team squad with an up, and a massive upgrade in in a position. Whereas Sancho comes in, and he will be better than at the moment. I think he's he's better. He would be better wide than Mason Greenwood, but not by the distance that Rafael Varane would be better than Victor Lindelof. And United, United have been scoring goals. United have scored a lot of goals this this last season. You know, but we've we've conceded too many goals. And Varane could make you know absolutely monumental difference to that to the uh, to the defensive side of United's game.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the, the ideal situation in that uh, group is for Portugal to get out down in the group stages and then Bruno just sits down for the first time in about 18 months and lets his limbs unwind, right? I mean, yeah. I, 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 I am mean, I, disappointed for Dean Henderson, obviously, that he's had to withdraw from the England squad and disappointed on a personal level for Luke Shaw that he didn't play any part in the game against Croatia and for Rashford not to have started either. I'm also fully of the mind that any time a United player gets a rest and a less level of, you know, obviously it depends on their importance to the team. But any time a United player at the minute, in terms of the bigger ones, gets a bit of a breather, I'm very much appreciative of that because you know we've had such an intense eighteen months. I'm not saying that we're alone in that, but the likes of our our bigger players getting a break at the moment. I know Cavani's obviously in South America doing a very weird Copper America run with Uruguay, but I, I'm pleased that we are getting some rest into these players and they're getting a little bit of a break because you know as the fixtures were released today we start off with leads for god's sake leads at home don't get me wrong i'm looking forward to it imagine the, uh, the atmosphere that's not ideal considering how many of our key players will be playing in tournaments this summer so you might have realized that i've left uh the most enjoyable topic of course from my perspective to the end of the uh podcast this week but there we go i mean You know, we we discussed a little bit about uh, the Welsh-Switzerland game in the group chat, Rich, and I do feel like one of the things that's worth mentioning when it comes to how I sort of... And I think, you know, I I don't want to speak for every single Welsh person, mostly because I don't know all of them, which might sound odd, but I don't. Um, The difference in how I sort of analyse our performances in these games, and today, especially against Turkey, could have gone a very different way, but for a couple of saves. In my lifetime, I think England have missed two international tournaments by not qualifying in that same period of time, Wales are qualified for two. Yeah. So my expectations for how we do, it's not necessarily that they're rock bottom. And it's not like I didn't come out of the game against Switzerland um, a little bit disappointed that we didn't attack more. But it's just, I'm not over the enjoyment of seeing my country play in a major yeah. tournament because it's just such a novelty for me and for millions of other people. It, it's, it's unprecedented for us because yeah. obviously... Football is not our national game. It's not the game that gets the most amount of coverage or the most amount of investment. And, you know, we have periods where we might be doing a little bit better and have a few more players at the top level in the Premier League. But it, we don't put expectation on the foot, on Wales football team to perform consistently at an incredibly high level. And the fact that we're playing through what is arguably the golden age, because it's never, ever been as good as this for Wales in terms of our footballing team, ever. You know, we are, it's been pointed out, I think it was Alex Simi I mentioned earlier on, we are essentially living in the Welsh golden age of football in terms of the players that we have and the team spirit and the effort and the application. It's mad. You know, the fact that we were, you know, solidly outplayed for at least a good two thirds of the game against Switzerland at the weekend and came away with the result, partially down to good goalkeeping and again, some half decent defending and Kiefer Moore being an absolute hammer legend with that second half header. You know, and we came into the game today against Turkey who were admittedly very, very limited. And maybe that was a tactical problem or maybe they just weren't quite ready. Who knows? They were not good whatsoever in terms of playing that game. Um, but the fact that we got through it, I mean, we, we missed about four or five decent opportunities. You know, Aaron Ramsey twice, bailed despite the fact that he created two goals, probably definitely should have done better with his penalty in the second half, and missed a couple of decent opportunities to set old Dan James up. And, you know, um, if we were looking at Dan James' watch... I don't think we learned anything new about him I think the level of effort that he puts into every single game that he plays is still a marvel I think his energy and his effort levels and commitment are superb I still think his passing is not exceptional at all and I feel like I don't see him going anywhere or leaving the club anytime soon because I still think he's a useful squad player for United but I don't think you're going to there's there's still a use for him at united you know if we're talking the overall broader picture and i think in a team like wales who does need that outlet and you know he is a good outlet for wales in particular in terms of how he's willing to run with the ball and the fact that we got through that game today with conor roberts's late goal and essentially booked our place in the last 16 given that what four of the six place third teams are going to qualify so even if italy stuff us in the final group game we should do all right it it's difficult for me to understate how big an achievement that actually is for Wales as a country in terms of our footballing setup. It's huge. And the fact that I can feel this close to the team, given what we've been going through, is pretty impressive.
1: Well, look, the stupid thing about Wales is I'd argue you had a better team in the 80s, at times in the 80s. But it's, it's a good thing, but also a problem I think you have is that you have a, a, a smattering of, of really high class players amongst you know a kind of bunch of sort of championship lower premier league players you're very reliant on those those stars to really make something happen um that otherwise wouldn't and that's not that's not a bad thing i mean you don't have the resources other teams do but you get very different performances so you got the performance against switzerland in which to be honest you were very 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 spawny to get to get a point out of that um it wasn't a good performance. To to tonight, when I think you you caused Turkey an awful lot of problems and created certainly created enough to to win that game and and deservedly won that game, I think. Um we but did. But in terms of in terms of in terms of Wales as a team and that group, ultimately, I think you're as you're as a squad you've got less talent than the other three teams in that group. You know, Ramsey and Bale particularly. You've probably got better players than, than Switzerland have got it at the top at the top of their squad but throughout the team there's there's far more talent in, and a, for, far more sort of balanced quality throughout that Swiss team and Turkey so yeah I mean I think it is a real achievement to have have got and you're almost certainly out of this group now you know, I can't see you can't comprehend you not making it with four points um, it is it is a real achievement for, for Wales to have got got out of this group yeah I don't think you should and you won't Underestimate what a what a you know achievement that is. Goal of the week so far. I think it's going to be Patrick
0: Schick, hasn't it? Oh, uh, I mean the, the way that he hits that first time without a touch, and I think it's the aesthetic quality of seeing Marshall fall into the goal. <laughs> oh, maybe he t-
1: maybe watch <laughs> maybe he's watched Scott McTominay do it, and um and that that the that little curling fi- finish from distance that he did against City, um and 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 thought he'd try and one up him, and and he did. Yeah. He very much did, yeah, didn't he? He actually did. So, good on him.
0: Okay, uh, so from your perspective, quick score prediction for England Scotland on Friday, and then we'll call it a night.
1: I would go two 0 England. I think that but, you know the one the one big difference in that between the two teams in that Czech Republic against Scotland game was the fact that one had Patrick Schick up front and the other one had Lyndon Dykes. So yeah, I think it's going to be very difficult for Scotland to score, um, and I just can't see England not breaking them down. Sure. And w- Wales against Italy, Euron.
0: Um, I mean I guess depending on how this evening's Game goes and how things go in general It's something of a dead rubber for us to a certain degree You'd imagine we're going to get through It will be a much more defensive performance of course Than we saw tonight than the one mm. against Turkey So I do think we will have to be much more careful in terms of how we use the ball going forward because I can imagine a team like Italy, especially like Insignia and Immobile, actually being incredibly good on the break and ripping us open. You know, arguably the best attacking team we will have played so far in the tournament. So, and I think Wales can afford to be careful in that game. You know, we couldn't be careful tonight to a degree. So... Getting through that with maybe a if we're lucky like a, a a draw of any description or maybe a narrow defeat, fine. You take that and you move on to mm. the next round because I would I would not expect us to top this group whatsoever. If we get through with four points from three games, given the teams we've been playing, great. I don't think anyone really expected us honestly to get that far. Fantastic. No,
1: yeah, I think I think that's right. I think I think a you know, round of sixteen, the qualification would probably be about par well above par to be
0: honest Oh, well above par for sure well above par yeah I, I, you know speaking be of bad. well above par this is way longer than i thought we were going to record for so let's stop now because man's it. got to edit <laughs> rich so happy to have you back That's all right it's been a pleasure Everyone, thank you so much for listening to us as well. You know my normal spiel at this stage. Don't forget you can get us all over Twitter. You can get Rich at Rich Red Voices. You can get me at you and like this. Paul at Paul Gunning One, and the pod itself at Red Voices MESC. If you want to talk shop at any point over the next European campaign, sounds fun to me. And don't forget the podcast can be found on iTunes, on Spotify, on Anchor, or SoundCloud, or any decent podcast app. And if you can leave a rating or review or subscription, that's hugely, hugely welcome. In the meantime, take care of yourselves. We'll be back next week after the next round of finish, after the next round of fixtures has been completed. Take Take care of yourselves. Bye.